0: This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin.
1: Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's show comes from St Augustine's Moorland Anglican Church in Melbourne's Inner North. Today's big question, why can't I be happy? We're asking this question today to Angela Cook. Now Angela works as priest in charge of this church, St. Augustine's Moorland Anglican Church in Melbourne's Inner North. She grew up in Taree on the New South Wales Mid-North Coast and studied science before working in Christian ministry, and she joins me now. Please welcome Angela Cook. So, Ange, are you pleased that people in your church here clapped as I introduced uh, you? Uh, yes, that <laughs> uh, they are
0: pleased to see me. That I think, is, I think yeah, there were
1: a couple who didn't, though. Perhaps. Yeah, anyway, anyway, anyway. I saw
0: mostly smiling faces, so <laughs> Anyways, I'm, I'm okay. That's good. <laughs> yeah.
1: Now, Ange, whilst we're both based in Melbourne here today, we do have a common connection point yes. about places that we've lived when we're growing up. Taree. Um, yes, Taree, Taree the, the jewel of the, Mid-North of the coast. Manning River. <laughs> exactly. Yes. right. Yes, that's yes, right. Yes. So, I grew up in Taree as well as. You did, Ange. But yeah. now, did you like growing up in Tyree? No. <laughs> okay. No, I didn't. Yeah. I actually quite enjoyed my time Not living really. in Tyree. Yeah, I did. Although I was, I was keen to move to university in the big, big smoke. But anyway, well, to kick off Bigger Questions, we do like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Today, we're talking with Angela Cook about being happy. So, Ange, now, our smaller questions to you today are about happy movies and TV shows. Oh, yeah. Now, are you a fan of... Um, Absolutely. you are. Okay. Well, you should do okay. I hope so. Well, we'll see. Two questions, both multiple choice. Question one. Which of these happy shows has the highest audience rating on IMDB, the internet movie database, the world's most authoritative database for movies and TV shows? Was it A, Happy Gilmore, a 1996 comedy featuring Adam Sandler and golf? Was it B, Happy Feet? the 2005 animated comedy featuring penguins and dancing? Was it C, Happy Days, the story (laughs) of the Cunningham family in the long-running 1970s American sitcom? Or was it D, Happy Feet 2? Mm. the 2011 sequel to the original featuring more penguins. Mm. So which of those rated the highest on IMDb? Well,
0: I do know that Adam Sandler can be a bit divisive yep. and golf-based things don't really make me happy. So I'm, I'm going to say it's not Happy Gilmore. That's a good
1: one to, uh, to, to knock yeah, out. To knock out, good you. one, yes. yep, yep.
0: Um, and Happy Days, look, they're pretty happy, but...
1: They're very happy.
0: It's, it's, it's a bit old now. I think it probably won't get as high a rating. Look, I'm going to go for Happy Feet because it was just so
1: heartwarming. It was heartwarming, but unfortunately, oh. Happy Feet only rated uh, 6.5 that's on IMDb. Very disappointing. Yeah, it was actually Happy Days. Really? Rated we 7.5. We yeah. all look
0: back to the happy days. We do. Actually, mm. the
1: highest ra- rating sort of happy movie was actually The Pursuit of Happiness, mm-hmm. featuring Will Smith, which rated 8.0. It
0: wasn't a very a- happy film.
1: Though. Yeah, no, it wasn't, so that's why I didn't put it in the list. <laughs> yeah, <fair> so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you have a favourite happy movie?
0: Um, okay, slightly embarrassing. Legally Blonde was my favourite movie <laughs> as a younger person because it's just happy, right? <laughs> she likes pink. She kind of achieves and overcomes problems. Yeah, and she used to like getting manicures too, which, you know, isn't a bad thing.
1: Sure. Question two. The website L.com had an article of 24 films that promised to lift your mood and change your life. Which one of these films was not on the list? Okay. Okay, was it A, Little Miss Sunshine, Mm-hmm. Was it B, Legally Blonde? Mm. Mm. Was it C, Mamma Mia? Or was it D, The Exorcist?
0: Right. Well, I, I think you're being kind to me so that I might actually get 50%. I'm not sure that The Exorcist will lift your mood.
1: Uh, well, yeah. funnily enough, that's actually correct. That's right, yeah. The answer was actually DDX. Thank, Thank you for the pity claps a film there. <laughs> That was promised to lift your mood and change your life. So, Ange, be happy because you passed. You got one of our two smaller questions. Big round of applause. Phew. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ange, there's a mm-hmm. lot of movies about happiness. Yeah. There's lots of films with happy in the title, yet there's virtually none with sad or depressed in the title. Mm. Is there something, do you think, in our culture that desires happiness?
0: Yeah, I, I do. I think people are looking for something and I think we, there is a lot of pain and hardship in everyday life and I think we're looking for ways to make sense of it and mm-hmm. ways to come to terms with what's going on when we feel things that aren't fun, that aren't good. Um, how, do we, how do we make sense of those things? Yeah. So we want
1: to be happy then? I think people definitely want to be happy. So you almost think that our culture expects us to be happy, though?
0: Yeah, I think so. If you do this, if you go to this school, if you get this uni course, if you get this job, if you have this amount of money, you'll be happy. Or if you get married and have a family, you'll be happy. I think our society has lots of kind of recipes for happiness, but I don't know that they actually um, work in the long run.
1: Mm. There's lots of so-called happy movies in the world... Uh, you enjoy watching them. I do. Um, Shout out for Legally Blonde, which is W-w-w- one of your yeah. favourites. It is on the list of 24 that will lift your mood and change your life. I knew it. <laughs> but this is not quite the case for you. So can you share a bit about your struggle?
0: Um, yeah, so for about 10 or 12 years I've uh, had depression and that's something that has been part of my journey as a person. Um, I don't think I've always felt happy. Um, and trying to work out what, what I do with that.
1: But Angie, you're a sort of extrovert. Yes, you're, you know, you seem to have a, a bubbly personality, lots of enthusiasm, love, lots of fun. How could you possibly have depression?
0: Yeah, it's a funny illness. I think depression. Um, it can strike anyone. You know, it's not necessarily about what people present. Um, it's about how what's going on in your head, and your feelings. Um, and I think, it, yeah, it can happen to anyone. And so I think I'm not immune. I'm a person, um, and so. Even though I like fun things, I like enthusiastic things, I like um, yellow, you know. I like <laughs> things that are fun and good. That doesn't mean I'm immune from feeling down. So is that a
1: mask at times, do you think? Um,
0: I don't think so. I think that's my kind of preferred method of being. Right. I, I I really love when things are going well. <laughs> um, and I do get excited about things, but I think... I feel feelings strongly, so when I'm happy, I'm pretty happy, and everyone tends to know about it. And when uh, I'm not, I'm not. And, um, yeah, so trying to measure that and try and work out how that's expressed. And I don't want to be a Jekyll and Hyde kind of person, Um, and it's not that I pretend to be happy all the time and I'm not underneath, it's that there's just a a strain of my life that, that isn't as upbeat as people often see.
1: Mm. so is this something that people around you know that you struggle with a depression Uh,
0: not really no so it's not something that I talk about a lot in some ways I think there's a lot of stigma still around mental illness Mm. um and and depression absolutely yeah and I think even for me thinking through okay is this is part of something that I'm dealing with I feel nervous sharing that Mm. why do I feel nervous sharing that Do I want people to treat me differently I don't want people to treat me differently but this is part of what my story is um and I think there is a real concern because mental illness can look really different for different people um it's hard to know how to react when somebody says that Mm -hmm. they have depression or they have anxiety um so I think it yeah there is a shame in not being able to just cope with life I think I think we often are told well you just get on with it and you do things and you. You, you sort yourself out.
1: Pull your socks up and That's just get, right. your, get your life together. That's and, right. And it's your fault if something goes wrong.
0: Yeah, and I think particularly we're told, all if we do this and this and this, then it'll all be fine.
1: You watch those happy films. They That's give right. you the recipe. They give you the, recipes,
0: give you the recipe and you, you follow the recipe and you don't feel fine. And so I think there can be a real shame in saying, I'm not OK and I
1: don't know why. Mm. Yeah. So when did you realise that you, you struggled with this?
0: I've started sort of counselling and medication about 10 or 12 years ago, but I look back across my life and I think, well there was a day when I was in year 12 that I didn't go to school because I couldn't stop crying. And I thought, that's probably not, that's probably not everyone's story, is it? Um, And at the time I was like, oh well it's year 12, I'm stressed, you know, life is whatever, I've got the HSC coming up. Um, But in hindsight I can kind of see that there was there was something going on there. So so what was it? it
1: was it stress or was it some, something? Wrong? I think
0: it was. I think it was a bit of both. Um, I think I was searching for what I was going to do with my life. Um, you know, as many people get to the end of school, you think, what's next? And I knew that I didn't really enjoy living in Tari, so I wanted to get out and do something. There was an expectation that I'd go to university and I'd study something. But I remember going through the book, thinking, I have no idea what I want to do. I'll just cross out the things that I can't get into with the marks that I have, and there were still plenty of things on the list. And I was raised in a Christian family, but when I got to the end of high school, I'd kind of—I didn't like church. It was a bit daggy. Your father was the minister at the church at one point, so <laughs> no offence there. Um,
1: I think I think I'd left. Tari you'd left by then, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: But I was a very fairly grumpy teenager, and. <laughs> I wasn't really into church there weren't other people my age and I kind of had decided that well God knows everything so I don't really need to pray he'll just you know he just does his thing and I do mine but I got to the end of high school and so I thought okay obviously what I'm doing isn't working I'm, I might pray I, I heard it's a good thing to do to, to ask God so I prayed and I got into a course that had the exact cut off that was the mark that I'd got in my what do they call it now <laughs> ATAR that's what they call it. they keep changing it so the, this was
1: in your HS, the yeah, highest my, certificate yeah, at the time, yeah, in New yeah. South
0: Wales? in New South yeah. Wales. So I got the exact mark that I needed to get into this course, Forensic Science. And I thought, well, that sounds cool, let's do it. Um, so yes, yeah, so I headed off to So you to wanted Sydney. to get out of
1: Taree, you got out of Taree. I did. You got to Forensic Science at, in Sydney, yes. you were at university at UTS. UTS, yeah. That was an important step for you, what happened?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think with the transition from Taree and high school to university and to Sydney, I kind of had the sense that I could be whoever I wanted to be I kind of had that no one knows me here I can be Christian or not I can get involved in church or not and so I kind of had this moment of oh I could I could do whatever and my sister um, my beautiful sister she had been praying for me and she invited me along to the church that she was going to and it was it was great Uh, there were people my age The Bible was explained really clearly. I got involved in community, and I think I got it. Like, I think I got what the Christian life was about there. What what did you get? The thing thing that struck me most was the Christian life is a life of service. And that's pretty simple, right? I thought, I can do that. Mm. I now actually have a clear purpose for my life. In whatever context I'm in, it's about knowing God, and it's about serving other people. Mm. I was like, okay. I forgot it, I found it, I found my purpose.
1: So was that liberating?
0: It was in a way, yeah. And it was exciting because I'd, I was pretty shy, you wouldn't believe this, but um, <laughs> I was pretty shy in high school, I didn't talk a lot. Um, in fact, my sister talked to one of the girls who was in the college that I lived in and said, I'm worried about my sister. She's pretty, you know, she's pretty grumpy, she's pretty introverted, you know, I'm not sure she's gonna be okay at uni. And then the girl came back to her after a week and said, what are you talking about? <laughs> is it the same person? And so I really do think finding a place where I fit and belonged and could work out how life was supposed to be was really powerful for me. Mm. Yeah.
1: So you found purpose mm. and then you sort of pursued that. Yeah. And what happened?
0: So I'd, um, I'd finished my degree, my forensic science degree, and I'd realised I don't want to be in a lab analysing chemicals because there's enough people. Um, maybe what I want to do is talk to people about Jesus. hmm so I started working as an assistant chaplain at Sydney University with the Christian group there, and I loved it. I loved it. In fact, I loved it so much that I was leading seven Bible study groups a week, and I was meeting up with people, and I was doing it all on a kind of a shoestring mm-hmm. salary, and then there was an opportunity to go to China over the summer and with some students and lead a team there. And then there was an opportunity to go to Africa with a team and see what God was doing there, And then I got home from that and I thought, I'm done. I'm (laughs) exhausted. (laughs) How old were you at this point? I was 24, I think. So you're 24 and kind of burned out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so what happened then?
0: Well, I got back from Africa and I was just a grumpy mess. I mean, I'd literally been in deepest, darkest Africa with no support. You know, the phone lines at the place we were staying didn't work. There was no electricity for a couple of months. And I felt completely disconnected. I felt like... I'd done all the right things, but it hadn't done any good. You know, I'd loved people, I'd served people, and all I'd got was more hard work to do. And so I kind of there was a lot of crying involved. I yeah. was kind of like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to. What I'm doing isn't working. What else can I do? Mm-hmm. And I had some really wonderful Christian friends and mentors who kind of said, Hey, maybe you need to talk to someone about this. Um, so off I went to see a, so counselor. You saw a counselor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was really, really helpful because. I was not very good at knowing what I was feeling. We teach a um, tuning into kids parenting course here on emotion coaching, and every time I I run that course, I think, gosh, I wish I would known this at 24, you know? I had no idea what I was feeling, and when I was feeling stuff, I was like, "Mm, let's just keep going. And so I think the counselling was really helpful for me to see the patterns in my life, uh, but also to see what I was feeling and perhaps why I was feeling it, Mm. yeah.
1: But you continued your sort of path on Christian studies, etc. cetera. I yeah. went to Bible college. I did, Yeah. Yes. So how was that experience?
0: Yeah, it was awesome, but also really hard. Thank God for fee help. So off I went to college. And I think college just puts, it put pressure on me again in another way, you know. I think because I thought everything I'm learning is really important. I want to get this right. I want to get God right. I want to understand his word and know how to share it and care for people. And there's not enough time in the day to do all that. So I was working one day a week as a student minister at a church. I was trying to learn Greek and Hebrew and also just survive as a human being. Mm -hmm. And so I think college really brought to the fore some of that vulnerability and some of that negativity in my thinking um, that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't smart enough, that I didn't have the right theological skills, that I was perhaps not relationally good enough to Mm. help people who were struggling. Yeah, so I think by the end of college I was in a pretty dark place. Yeah. Yeah. So your
1: depression was in some ways getting worse?
0: Yeah, I think so, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, And was that when it was diagnosed? Yeah. That's when you finally got a diagnosis? Yeah. How was that? After travelling with it for a long time, you finally got a diagnosis that it was depression?
0: Yeah, it was a relief in a way. I think... I was like, oh, okay. there's something I can do about this. I know what this is. I can I can work with this you know Um, and in some ways I feel like for me depression is a is a chronic illness a bit like my thyroid doesn't work right so I have an underactive thyroid and so I went to the doctor and got that diagnosed and so I take my thyroid medication and I do the things I'm supposed to do and that helps me manage it and in some ways I feel like my depression is a bit like that I go to the doctor I take my medication I do the things that are good for me and healthy and I try and,
1: and work with it as as I do that yeah. But you're a Christian believer mm. with purpose. Yes. Uh, you'd even been to Bible college. Mm-hmm. Why didn't that help? Yeah, I think
0: no one's immune. You know, I think the world is a broken place and that can be overwhelming. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So is, is there anything in the Christian message that helped you?
0: It's funny. I feel like being a Christian does help, but it also doesn't help. I think for me, knowing that there was truth out there and that the truth was Jesus loved me so much he died for me and he was someone who loved me more than I could imagine he was someone who God had a plan for and that involved my good I think that was a base level of truth that I mm. really needed so when I
1: did that was sort of a base that you could re- re- yeah. sort of rely on
0: that's right so when I was feeling really dark I could go to the Bible and I could read about what God had done. And that was true. Mm. And I could ground myself in that. Even if it didn't feel true, it was true. Mm. Um, and the other thing about being a Christian person for me is the church. Um, Christian brothers and sisters who kind of walked alongside me when I wasn't doing well and who walked alongside me when I was doing well, I think. But just having people who cared about me was really important.
1: Mm. Mm. So you mentioned that the Bible was helpful for you when you suffered from illness, why why was that?
0: I think it was something outside my mind that I could rely on. I think that's the really difficult thing about mental illness. It's something that's inside who you are, but you can't really trust it. I remember I once read a book that was like, emotions, can you trust them? And it was like, no. And I was like, well, that book is going in the bin because (laughs) my emotions feel pretty strong and they're they're telling me something. Um, But the reality is... Your emotions aren 't always the the right response to a situation. Mm. Sometimes you can feel things in an overly um, intense way when that's, that's not what the situation mm.
1: you're is in is. And you could find that the Bible was something there that you could trust. Absolutely, yeah. Missed, missed difficulty. Now, there was a passage in the Bible, mm. Isaiah chapter 55, which is in the Old Testament mm. part of the Bible, that was very helpful for you yeah. in your story, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Now, it starts, Isaiah 55 starts with the invitation, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come by and eat. Now, there's a call here uh, to come to the Lord for satisfaction. Mm. So when you're suffering acutely from mental health issues, do you feel thirsty? Yes,
0: absolutely. I think when you're suffering, you feel disconnected and weighed down and tired. And the thought of somebody giving you what you need for free, for just telling you to come and just be with me is incredibly powerful particularly as somebody who likes to do stuff i really found this call just to just to come come to god you don't have to do anything you don't have to tick any boxes you don't have to be a certain mark in your exams you can just come to god Mm. Mm. and receive that was really powerful Mm.
1: now isaiah 55 goes on to say in verses 8 to 9 for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways declares the lord as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So how did these words help you? Yeah, I in mean, your depression?
0: I think this was, I hung on to these because I thought I knew how things should work, right? Like,
1: in your own mind.
0: Yeah, in, I knew how the world worked, right? You did the right things, got the right outcomes. And even in the Christian world, I knew, well, okay, I'm giving my life to God in service. Tick, tick, tick. Surely I should be happy. Surely I should be just tiptoeing down the road, throwing flower petals everywhere, <laughs> overjoyed. And I worked in a church that was um, that had a pretty toxic staff team and I found that really difficult. I think it really invited me into a place that made me feel even more worthless. And this part of the Bible was so important for me when I, I, I left that job and I was so disappointed because I thought... I've done all the right things, God. I loved these, these people. I loved this place. Why, why, why is this the way it's turned out? And this passage kind of said to me, you're not God. You don't actually know what the best thing is for yourself or for others. You need to trust me. And I think the part about in Isaiah, you know, in the chapters leading up to chapter 55, we hear about Jesus. We hear about the suffering servant. Mm. And that is God's plan. That is God's best plan for the world. Through suffering. Through suffering. To send Jesus to die on the cross and rise again. And I don't pretend to fully understand it, but Jesus, it says in Hebrews, was perfected through suffering. There is something about suffering that is part of God's good plan, both for Jesus and for us. And I don't like it, (laughs) and I don't want it to be, But I need to trust that God is good and that his plans are better than my plans. Even when I think I know how it should all work out, his plans are better.
1: Now questions come in from our text line from our live audience here today and they said you said your faith both was and wasn't helpful. Can you Mm. say a bit about how it wasn't helpful for you and how you grapple with that?
0: Yeah, I think um, when you feel like you're not enough, that you're not good enough, um, sometimes Hearing that from the Bible can be hard.
1: Um, so... The idea that we're broken people. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's right. And I think confessing your sin when you're just aware of everything that's wrong with you uh, can be
1: a bit... It's like those peaks and troughs, is it? Yeah, this is yeah. going down... Um...
0: Well, and I was really aware of why I wasn't good enough mm. and why I wasn't okay and why things weren't good. I didn't really need... Be reminded every week at church <laughs> um, I mean I kind of did in a way because the thing about confession is you tell God that you're not good enough and then he says in Jesus you are you are forgiven, you are made new so you need to be in church to hear that but it can be really hard to to just know the reality that yeah we're broken
1: mm.
0: and to hear that when
1: But that assurance though gave yeah. you hope perhaps?
0: I think so yeah because my feelings of worthlessness were not the end of the story. My feelings weren't the only thing that mattered. I could see from the Bible that God's view of me was different to my view of me. Mm. And even if I couldn't remember that, I had other people who could help me remember that.
1: Mm. Hence, that's why the Bible and the church were both very useful resources for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, as I 55 concludes with these two verses in verses 12 and 13, you will go out in joy... And be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst forth into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. This passage speaks of joy and even some hope of a better future, where juniper and myrtle will grow instead of thorns and Mm. briars. So, as one suffering from depression, Do you think that joy and hope are possible?
0: Absolutely. And I actually think that hope is the right response to the mess of the world and to the pain that we feel. I think hope says this is not the way it should be. This is not the way it will be. Because God has a plan and a promise for it. So I think, actually, when we look around at the mess of the world, that triggers us to think, well, this is not okay. <laughs> and if this is all there is, if there's nothing better, if there's nothing more, if there's no hope, then this is this is it. And that's that can be soul crushing.
1: So is this one of the key reasons that you're you are a Christian believer?
0: Absolutely, because I look at the world, I look at myself, and I think, Ugh. you know, like that's
1: why I don't. You're groaning. Wa- yeah, I'm groaning. That was, that was a groan. That was a groan. Was <laughs> I
0: don't watch non happy movies because. I can just look at the news, I can just talk to my friends, I can just be in the world and I can see that it's a mess and if this is the only thing that there is, then I don't know what I could see to go on. But I think the right response is hope because God promises that there is something better coming. We've just uh, finished a series in Revelation here at church. And we were talking about the picture that we get in Revelation of a place where creation is renewed, where there's no more groaning, where there's no sadness, there's no pain, there's no death, where God wipes the tears from our eyes. And I think that vision keeps me going, you know, that vision of the future that I will be with God and there'll be nothing about me that I'll think I'm worthless. Those thoughts won't even be Mm. there because I'll be so overjoyed in the presence of God and of
1: the church. And this is the hope that really drives you. Yeah, absolutely. And and motivates you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, Ange, why can't I be happy?
0: Because the world is a mess. (laughs) (laughs) But Jesus is coming back and hope is the right response to suffering.
1: Let me leave you with some of the Bible's answer to the big question: why can't I be happy? From Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. I look forward to joining us next time for bigger questions. Please thank our guest today, Angela Cook. Hi, everyone. Rob Martin here, host of Bigger Questions. Uh, Thanks for listening to the show. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And please share the show with your friends or colleagues. Let's get the word out and get more people asking the bigger questions in our world. And if you want to invest in bigger thinking, maybe you could support us on Patreon. For as little as US $1 a podcast, you can help create better dialogue around the bigger questions of life. Go to patreon.com slash questions to sign up. Now, if you want to be part of the live audience, then there are some live shows coming up in the next couple of weeks. Our Songs of the Heart series so far has been outstanding and these recordings will be available on the podcast next year, but there are still two more lunchtime recordings. Uh, Tuesday the 15th of October with Scottish author and speaker David Robertson will be asked the big question, if God is real, then where is he? And then on Tuesday the 29th of October, we ask the big question, what happens when I die? With former Melbourne pastor Mark Connor. Check it out biggerquestions.org songs for all the details. I hope to see you there. So thanks again for listening and remember to keep asking the bigger questions.